Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. But tonight we're, we're continuing our Do You See What I See series. And we're looking for love. So we've already looked for peace. We've looked for joy. And tonight we're looking for love. And it's not always easy to see. I th- when I was thinking about this, I kind of thought it was almost the easiest one to see. But I think where I wrestle with it is our culture has hijacked it. Our culture has not only hijacked the Christmas season, our culture has hijacked what love is. And it, it offers us this false reality instead of what love truly is. And I don't know about you, but when I think of love, when I think of the Christmas season, I think of romantic love. I think of Hallmark love. And maybe it's because I admit I watch all the Hallmark movies and I'm trying to catch up on them, but there's 38 new ones this year alone. But that's how much it's resonating with our culture. And that's how much it's, it's skewing our perception of reality and what love is. Because you see, by watching Hallmark movies, they're painting this heart, heartwarming picture, this romantic picture of what love at Christmas time looks like. So you have usually a career-focused person who's too busy for love, too busy for Christmas time, but for some reason they have to go back to their small town that they grew up in, and they realize that the person they knew all along is actually the person they're in love with, and it happens on Christmas Eve as the snow is gently falling and they're both under the mistletoe. And you're like, yes, this is Christmas time. But no, this isn't what true love looks like. So while the movies, commercials, the television specials, they pull at our heartstrings, they, they tap into something within us. And there's something about this feeling that we love this time of year. But this isn't the true meaning of Christmas. But what is it about these things that seem to grab our attention during the Christmas season? Now another, uh, I don't know why this one comes to mind, but another thing I thought about was a comedian from years ago. I heard him talking about relationships. And I think he taps into some of this tension as well because he kind of goes on to say that when you're not in a relationship, it feels like everybody else around you falls in love and enters into a relationship on the exact same day. And it's like they're having a party and you're not invited. And worse than that, he kind of goes on to elaborate that you're kind of the person walking down the street and you see them having the party in their home and you're standing out in the pouring rain. But then he flips it around by saying, but then once you're in the party and you're in that relationship and you've been there for six years, then you're kind of like, where's my coat? I need to get out of here. And I think this articulates a deeper truth that we have this longing, this desire for a deep love, but we're looking for it in all the wrong places. It's a love that people or things can't fill. So at Christmas time, again, we decorate the true meaning of Christmas with bright lights, romantic movies, warm, fuzzy stories, the memories of the good old days, in order to shield us from this reality that something's gone wrong. Something's broken within me, within you, within our cosmos. 
And although we may not always see it, we feel it. You see, there's a severance between God and humankind. And a pastor down in the States by the name of Matt Chandler, he puts it this way. This severance led to a brokenness that overflowed into a brokenness in the systems we have built, in the governments we run, in the businesses we lead, and in the families we grow. We have no power to save ourselves. No amount of might or education will usher in peace on earth or in our extended families. So instead of hiding from this reality of brokenness, this is actually the very context which makes the real meaning of Christmas irreplaceable. That This is the context which makes Christmas so wonderful. Christmas is when the baby was given to us in love. Christmas is when the angel appeared to Joseph and told him, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua, which means the Lord saves. Christmas is where love meets us. Christmas is a celebration of love coming to us, entering into the mess in, in entering into the brokenness. John 3.16, the most popular verse, I'm sure, in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It was interesting when I was going through my Greek classes, too, because they actually, sometimes we get hung up on this word so. Like, God so loved the world, man. Like, so much. But it's, it's more so like God loved the world in this way. God, God loved the world in this way. And what way? Well, he created us. He created you. He created me. He created everything that we see and, and live and breathe and do. And he made everything out of love. And because he created us in this way, because he loved us, he's seeking after us. He, he's wanting to meet with us right where we are. Now, I find it interesting that Matthew and Luke are the only two gospel accounts that have the Christmas narrative, the birth narrative of Jesus. The gospel of John doesn't include the birth of Jesus, but he does make known Jesus' incarnation. And what's more is to understand kind of John's theology throughout his gospel is you kind of have to understand this emphasis on love, this love motif. You see, love is a faithful and benevolent self-giving to a person. In the Bible, love is the central attribute of God the primary fruit of the followers of God, and the defining characteristic of the kingdom of God, which is announced in Jesus. Christmas reminds us just how much we are loved. That's the gospel. Rick Warren, he writes this quote, The entire reason for Christmas is the love of God. God loves you so much that he came to earth as a human so you could get to know him and learn to trust him and love him back. Theologians call this the incarnation. God became one of us, a human being 
so we could understand what he's really like. He entered into our mess. And, and not just that, he entered in in a very lowly and messy way. I'm now a parent, and I understand that giving birth isn't all that idealistic, and it's not this clean and simple thing. And you kind of realize that, oh my goodness, like Jesus, not only did he enter our mess, he kind of came in in a pretty messy way. <laughs> Sorry to bring back memories or flashbacks. But like we sing these songs, oh, away in a manger, no crying he makes. Like, bull, I'm going to call it. No, he was crying. I'm sure of it. I saw a cartoon earlier this week on Facebook, and, and it's the little drummer boy, and he's standing there ready to play. And Mary looks over and says, that's a nice thought, but I just got him to sleep. <laughs> and the Bible tells us in 1 John that God is love. Not that he has love, but that he is love. Love is the essence of God's character. And because God's love for you is unconditional, he loves you on your bad days as much as on your good days, regardless of your performance, your moods, your actions, your thoughts. And everything else throughout our lifetime is going to change. But the one thing that is constant is God's love for you. God's love is constant. God's love is steady. God's love gives us a foundation for this unshakable confidence there's nothing that you can do to make God stop loving you. Even when you don't know how to love yourself. Even when you don't know how to love God. He's still there saying, lean into me. I'm here with you. Let me help you. And here's the best part. I touched on this last week. The baby born in Bethlehem didn't stay a baby. He grew up. He modeled a life for us. A life that pleases God. He taught us the truth. He paid for every sin we commit by, by dying on a cross. And while others have made this claim before about being a Messiah or a God, Jesus is the only one that has proven he's God by coming back to life. This is the good news. It's not just that Jesus came as a baby, but that he conquered death proving he was God and lives today, is with us today, helps us today. It's not this thing that was or is to come. It's, it's this presence that we have with him now, this love that we can have now. Through Jesus, we're saved. But what does that mean? What are we saved from? Well, another word for salvation is freedom. It's this deliverance but freedom what are some things we're set free from we're free from guilt over the past we're free from bitterness and resentment we're free from the expectations of others we're free from addictive habits we're free from the fear of death all of this is possible in and through the person of jesus and when the romans nailed jesus to a cross they stretched out his arms as wide as they could and with his arms spread open wide, Jesus is physically demonstrating, I love you this much. 
I love you so much it hurts. I love you so much that I'd rather die than ever live without you. So the next time you see a picture or a statue of Jesus with outstretched arms on the cross, remember, he's saying, I love you this much. There's no price I wouldn't pay. You see, loving like Jesus looks like loving with arms wide open. But over time, we tend to kind of close our arms back up. And we're like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course I love people. I I love so-and-so. I love God. But loving like Jesus looks like loving with arms wide open. And we're not just saved from things. We're actually saved for a purpose. And I'm excited to actually explore some of this in Alpha. Our very first one that we're talking about is, is there more to life than this? I'll give you the answer now that I believe, absolutely. (laughs) But why? Jesus came to save us for a purpose. And one of those purposes is to love God and love others. I like the way that Bernard of Clairvaux in the 19th century puts this as to the motive for loving God. He says, the motive for loving God is God. No title can be stronger than this. God gave himself to us in spite of our unworthiness. And being God, what could he give us great of greater worth than himself? Loving like Jesus looks like loving with arms wide open. So where is this love today? Well, I believe it's all around us. I believe we see it in simple actions. Holding the door open for others. Giving of ourselves to to help people. Showing radical generosity with our time and our resources and our finances. And I used to wrestle with how people who don't know Jesus can love others. This one had been a head-scratcher for me for a long time, especially when I was really trying to think through and wrestle through and own my faith. How can someone who doesn't know Jesus express love? And sometimes I felt like people outside of the church express love better than those inside the church. And then it hit me. We're all made in the image of God. It doesn't just start at the cross. It actually starts back at the beginning when God created us, when God designed us, when he made us in his image. So intrinsically and inherently, I believe we, we all have characteristics of God. But Jesus came to restore that relationship so that we can enter into this this intimacy and this closeness that then, man, when we tap into that, the love can overflow. And we can love like never before. 1 John 4.19 declares, we love because he first loved us. And again, that's not starting at the cross. That's starting at the beginning but was physically demonstrated for us on the cross. Loving like Jesus looks like loving with arms wide open. 
let me just share with you one more story. And it's about Pastor Ken, I, who I've mentioned several times before. He was a pastor I worked alongside out in White Rock, British Columbia. Here's a picture of him and his wife there. And we just surprised them with an all-expense-paid trip to Hawaii. So it included flights, hotel, rental car, and 3,000-plus spending money for their 50th wedding anniversary. The reason we were able to do this is because this man loved with arms wide open. And when we told people that he actually never got a honeymoon, that he actually hadn't really been on a vacation in their 50 years of marriage, people wanted to support sending him and his wife away on a trip to celebrate together. Because at this point, he had been married for 50 years. He had been in ministry for 51 years. And one of the churches they served at, he had been there for 18 years. After 18 years, a few people who had leadership positions in the church stabbed him in the back, asked him to pack up his stuff and leave. He had four daughters. His oldest was graduating grade 12 that year. The two youngest were twins. I believe they were graduating elementary school. Ken packed up his stuff, packed up his family, and left. He then went from there, actually, into a church plant. The church plant was struggling, so he took out a second mortgage on his home, and the church plant ended up closing. So he, he sold his house, and they thought, well, let's get back on our feet and we'll buy a place in a year from now. That's when the BC housing market shot through the roof. They were never able to afford a home again. I met Ken when he was 70 years old. He took a part-time associate pastor at White Rock Community Church, not just because he loved ministering, which I know he did, but they were still renting. He had nothing put away for retirement. This man, over and over again, continued to show me what love looked like and continued to keep pointing me to Jesus. And as he shared these stories with me about being stabbed in the back, I'm like, this isn't right. Why didn't you say something? Why? And he said, because I love the church. I, I love Jesus. And you see, I don't want to hurt the church. I don't want to divide the church. And when they asked me to pack up my stuff, whether right or wrong, I did as they asked. And throughout my ministry, whenever I would struggle with something, I'd go to him and he would listen to me, he'd pray with me, and he'd help me see this, this bigger picture. And if we ever needed something, we could go to him and he would bend over backwards just to help us out. And in fact, it's funny that I'm preaching this Advent uh, message on love this evening. Yesterday was, would have been Ken's 79th birthday. And it was six years ago that I was actually supposed to be preaching on love in the Advent series. And I woke up on that Saturday and I was sick as a dog. As most of you can attest to my immune system, <laughs> it just crashed. I couldn't stand. My fever had skyrocketed. And I called up Ken and said, Ken, can you preach on love for me tomorrow? 
And I just assumed that he'd pull out an old message from his 51 years of ministry. And he said, sure, not a problem. And he stayed up all evening and all night and wrote a message. Not just because he loved me, but because he loved the people of this church. So I never did get a chance to preach on love during Advent until now. But as, as I was about to pack up and move back to Ontario, I was doing a course on power change and conflict. And he was my mentor for this course. And I met with him. And the final assignment had a few options, but one of them was to go back to someone you had conflict with and interview them on how I dealt with it. And Ken saw the assignment and said, you know what you need to do. And I knew that I had to go back to my lead pastor. And I had to ask him to say, hey, I can't say anything or defend myself, but can you respond to how I handled conflict? Now, Ken never would have enforced this. I could have picked one of the other options, but that was one of the most healing exercises that I had to do. And Ken was just there to listen, to pray with me, and just to encourage me to keep listening to the voice of Jesus. And finally, as Amanda and I were preparing to church plant, we FaceTimed Ken and Nova in September and asked for their prayers, asked for their advice. He was thrilled that we didn't have to take out a mortgage on our house to fund the church plant. He, he was thrilled with the support that we had and the denominational support, and he cheered us on. And then it was three weeks later, Ken woke up on a Sunday morning getting ready to preach and suddenly died of a heart attack. Loving like Jesus looks like loving with arms wide open. And Ken modeled this time and time again. He loved Jesus. So much so that he's willing to get stabbed in the back. He's willing to go through the pains. He's willing to, to stick it out through thick and thin. And people knew that. Ken was a man who loved Jesus. And if he were here today, he'd be embarrassed to be told that because he knew his many flaws. But you see, loving like Jesus isn't about us trying harder. I believe it's about being filled with Jesus by his Holy Spirit. He promises that that's given to us as we enter into a relationship with him. So I just want to end by reflecting on a few questions. What does loving like Jesus with arms wide open look like in your life? Who are those people in your life who show you and model for you and extend that love towards you? And who are people in your life that you need to open your arms toward? It might be coming up this Christmas around the family table. And you might not be able to go from a complete closed arm to wide open. Ask God to help you. Just start. And perhaps it's even just embracing 
Jesus this Christmas. Ask him to help you love like him by loving with arms wide open.